Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. Hello and welcome to the show tonight. I'm so glad you chose to join us. I think we're in for a delightful conversation. The topic tonight is Apollo and me, and our guest tonight is Kate Montana. We're going to bring her on in just a minute. And I I looked at her bio, and and she's a recovering uh, television uh, broadcaster as well. So what can two television broadcasters do to get in trouble? We'll probably find a way tonight. But before we get the show started, I want to just take the moment about and talk about the notion of uh, uh, consciousness and like the journey, uh, the journey of the seeker, the um, the spiritual journey, the journey of awakening. I mean, there's so many different um, phrases <clears throat> that would relate to the, that kind of a conversation, but <clears throat> the <clears throat> Excuse me. The notion is um, what we're looking for is already there. And I know that you can roll your eyes when you hear a sentence like that. But the the, the idea that the, uh, I, I love how mythology points to the answer, but it can't give you the answer. It's like the kingdom of heaven is within but where? <laughs> we're within. I've looked all over within, and where the hell is it, you know? It's, uh, it's a curious thing. What, it, what I like about the, uh, the conversation tonight is um, Kate is, is quite immersed in, um, she writes and teaches about the ego, evolutionary psychology, consciousness, quantum physics, gender, gender archetypes, and the divine feminine. I mean, you can just kind of take a step back and let your eyes off, and and you can see there's uh, a deep immersion of of who we are in in her story, of who she is, and 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 this this kind of coming around to owning owning the the notion that you're already it, and I know that if the ego doesn't feel connected with source consciousness, if the ego doesn't feel enlightened, if the ego doesn't feel um, bliss or, you know, a kundalini geyser or, or whatever, that the ego can feel the need to keep looking. And I'm not discounting the seeking. But um, the point is to rest, to to not put off your divinity until you find it don't don't put off your enlightenment until you find it I, and i know that can seem contradictory but in in reality it's not because enlightenment is a discovery it's not a creation the the part of you that's enlightened has existed before the day you were born you didn't have an ego the day you were born and and your family dynamic was the environment where your ego was was planted and grown and raised. They taught you symbols, and then they taught you the value of symbols. And there's this symbol called enlightenment. 
and you're trying to find the meaning or the value to the term enlightenment, but it's beyond the symbol. It's beyond the even the notion of it. It it transcends the ego's ability to comprehend. I suggest. Well, enough of that. Let's get to the show. Um, Apollo and me is uh, Kate Montana's latest book. Um, Kate combines mysticism and science, m- magic and myth, passion and romance, and, and her book Apollo and Me is a fast-paced, cross-time teaching tale that explodes stale beliefs surrounding the relationship between the gods and man, man and woman, sexuality and spirituality, and ultimately the material illusion of the world itself. Wow, I like that. A dauntless explorer of inner and outer worlds, Kate Montana speaks, writes, and teaches, as we mentioned, about the ego, evolutionary psychology, consciousness, quantum physics, gender archetypes, and the divine feminine. She has also authored... uh, the E-Word, Ego Enlightenment and Other Essentials, and Unearthing Venus, My Search for the Woman Within, and co-authored The Heart of the Matter, A Simple Guide to Discovering Gifts in Strange Wrapping Paper, and also co-authored Ghetto Physics, (laughs) Redefining the Game. Um, And she was... uh, I think we should just get right to it. Um, join me in welcoming Kate to the show. Kate, welcome to the show. Hey, Les. It's great to be on the show. You know, I always listen to introductions like that, and I and I have one of either two thoughts. It's like, who the heck is, is, is Les talking about? And, wow, that all sounds really kind of heady and boring, and maybe I should just say that I lived in the woods and ran with wolves and raised on thoroughbred horses. <laughs> <laughs> Did right. that too. <laughs> well, I mean, if 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 uh, we're trying to discover a nonlinear thing, we wouldn't take linear courses, would we? I mean, I'm just no sproctologist, but it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it's it's going to be when you're running naked through the woods that the the biggest biggest revelations of the 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 transcendence of the linear mind would be much more probable then than staring at a book or studying in the classroom. Isn't that just the truth? I, ab- absolutely, Les. And, you know, and, and I love what you said earlier about enlightenment. It's just, it's just so, it's such a transcendent concept that it's only a concept to the, to the human um, logical left brain mind. We, we can't possibly understand what it is. And, and it just amuses me no end to think that I spent almost 30 years chasing enlightenment, thinking it was something I could understand and attain. And then I discovered that it wasn't anything I could attain or be at all. <laughs> it's called the cosmic joke. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, the cosmic uh... joke of, of the ego realizing that um that enlightenment is it's death basically we're enlightened when the ego finally goes away and it's like oh my god but i wanted to be enlightened what does that leave me nothing doggone it (laughs) (laughs) by becoming empty we become full so um, exactly what what uh 
Now, Apollo and me, uh, um, that that seems to be a, a deviation in, in the books that you're writing, because just looking at the titles of the books, this seems more like a, a fictional work just based on the title. Um, is, is, is this book a, a change in your writing style? Oh my God, Les! It's 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 beyond a change. It's it's a radical departure. It's about 180 degrees out of phase where I started writing about ego psychology and enlightenment. Um, it is a romance novel. I would confess. I'll get I'll get the the horrible truth out up front. It's a I actually wrote a spiritual romance novel, and nobody could be more shocked about that than me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I was I was actually um on a on assignment I was finishing the the book the e word ego enlightenment and other essentials for a Simon and Schuster imprint in Live and Books back in 2015 and I I was dead set I was going to I was going to straighten out the whole spiritual community the whole world about the nature of enlightenment because I'd had an awakening back in 2007 that showed me uh, indelibly that yes, I was an illusion, and no, I. <laughs> the idea that Kate Montana could be enlightened was the 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 illusion within the illusion, and that I'd been I'd been chasing a a, a ghost all those years. So. Anyway, I so but I was like, I'm going to straighten out what everybody thinks about enlightenment, and it's not anything we can attain. So I'm on a mission, and so I've cracked out all the ego psychology and all my knowledge about quantum physics and consciousness states, and and I'm writing this book. And a friend has had a house, still has a house in um, in Greece on the island of Paros, and she said, well, you know, why don't you come and spend the summer, spend spend three months on Paros, and finish the book there. And I didn't have to really even think twice about that. I just went, okay, I'll pack my bags tomorrow. And so I headed to Greece. I was all excited. I hadn't been there since I was, oh, 19. And I'd always, I'd always had a thing for the Greek gods, the pantheon of gods, of the Olympic gods, and um, mythology, archaeology, so much so that I, I got a double major in archaeology and English in school, in college. So anyway, I'm in Greece, and I take a break, and I go to Delphi, the seat of the Temple of Apollo. And I'd always had, of all of the gods, I was enamored most of Apollo, always. So I went back to Delphi, Delphi, forty odd years later, and I did the tourist thing, and, and it was beautiful. And and then the next day, I decided I wanted to get away from the tourist crowd, and I hiked up um, a trail up above the temple complex up Mount Parnassus. <laughs> and I had so I'm sitting there in the sun. It's Greece. It's April. I'm a Simon and Schuster author. I'm 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 self. I'm very important. I'm writing this amazing book about ego psychology and enlightenment. And I'm sitting there on a cliff overlooking the temple. And all of a sudden, I had a vision. And this and the vision was this beautiful, oh, gorgeous man, just bounded over the rocks towards me. He came, sat down right next to me, turned and said, "Hi, I'm Apollo." I have things to tell humanity. Let's talk. And then poof. Wow. That was that was it. And he had the most amazing copper-colored eyes. Oh my it, it was just like riveting. So I was like, "Well, holy, well you yeah, yeah, holy, holy Moses. Um what what do you do with that?" 
I, I just sat there stunned for I don't know how long. And um, and then finally I tottered back down the mountain and went to my hotel room. And I, I didn't know anything else better to do than sit down, haul out my laptop, and start writing about what I'd seen and the vision and Apollo. And I immediately started to tune into that entity's energy. And I was just like, okay, if what happened really happened and I didn't have some sort of acid flashback from the 60s, what, right. what, who, what does Apollo have to say? And what does he want to tell humanity? And literally, so I'm in Greece. I'm writing this bloody book about ego psychology and enlightenment, and all of a sudden I have this vision of this gorgeous Greek god, and he has, says he's got things to tell people, and I'm like, so sidetracked i can't tell you it was talk about being derailed but then i had to go back to paros and and finish the book because um i'd been paid to do that (laughs) so i had to then reroute my brain and and go back to um the e-word but you know three days kid you not after cranking out a whole book um three days after i finished i was back communing with apollo less and because i was just I was obsessed. I was just completely overwhelmed and like, wow, where is this going to lead? And so, yeah, it's been a total departure because what came through in my discussions, my contemplations, my meditations with Apollo was basically a love story and very a a fictional story as best I can determine, um, considering the fact that I think a lot of the material was, was fundamentally channeled. Um, so yeah, departure, train derailment, <laughs> sure. and it totally well, changed now, my life. So you, I mean, you, you mentioned that you were uh, fascinated with uh, Greek mythology and you had studied it. Mm-hmm. And what, what, what I find curious is, uh, um, so you study the, um, current lineage i mean i mean it when a story passes through time it can morph and whatnot and what mm-hmm. i'm curious about is when you had the encounter with him with apollo what was your sense of 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 that persona versus the one you had studied in college well Seeing is seeing is believing. Um, and isn't that an, isn't isn't that an error in judgment? Um, he was so palpably present and powerful and centered, and yet he had. It, you know, one of the things that came through more than anything else was his sense of humor, <laughs> and his lightheartedness, <laughs> and and oh, yet oh. incredibly incredibly serious, all all wrapped into one. And of course, Apollo is the god of light the bringer of light, the bearer of wisdom and knowledge. Um, he's also the, the god of healing in the Greek pantheon and, um, and the god of music, amongst other things. So he's kind of a renaissance man. I had never in, in school, I mean, back in the 70s when I was in college, you know, it, never once in my life did I seriously consider that the Greek gods were real. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there wasn't any real fleshing out of a persona back studying right, yeah. mythology in college. It was just, it was a nice story, but there wasn't anything, 
compelling. I mean, it was interesting and compelling because it was just history and fascinating, but that's all intellectual. This was visceral. And, um, and for the first time, he made me think about the nature of the divine in the respect of the gods that had shown up that, that, that we still worship across, across the globe and how those, those gods made their appearance on the world stage in human consciousness. How did they show up? Where did they come from? And as my conversations with Apollo deepened over the course of several months um, back in 2015, when I did the initial uh, story, when I wrote the first draft of it, um, it was it was very, very clear that humanity had created the gods themselves, that we had projected out of our own ignorance and out of our own fear way back thousands of years. You know, we would worship and placate the forces of nature lest they overwhelm and consume us. Um, you know, we had to pay homage. We had to do the blood sacrifices so that the tornado wouldn't tear us apart or the earthquake wouldn't come or the, you know, or the rains would come and we would have crops and and you know and so and we worshiped those natural first things like um beauty and masculinity and 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 strength and prowess and the hearth um all of those things and apollo made it very clear that it was humanity's or at least the humanoid species and it's not not relegated just to this planet either um thought and focus worship and love and especially fear that actually projected um, the reality of these beings into existence. Right, yeah. Well, you know, it, um, a lot of our mythology comes from so long ago. Um, and if, if you think about um, the, the vocabulary, the linguistics, the, the concept of, quote, reality, unquote, it was really a, a brick-and-mortar perception. If you couldn't see it, it wasn't real. It, it, and, and that kind of a, a mindset. And, and so if, if you have one of these etherical experiences, one of these uh, moments, and, and that's the context of your understanding, it, uh, I mean, how do you even wrap words around it? But what I like about our culture now is, I mean, in broadcast TV, I've worked with electricity. Mm-hmm. And electricity in an extremely diverse environment with video and audio and transmitters, microwave, blah, blah, blah. And it's ethereal. I can't see it. I can't yeah. see electricity. And and then there's uh, quantum science. There's this There's this quantum field thing. And and we we've really gotten etherical with our languaging, and and our minds are used to working with something that we can't see, but is yet quite real. It, mm-hmm. I, I'm always fascinated how story traverses cultures over time, and so I was just uh, I, I find it <clears throat> fascinating that Apollo was. Um, motivated with his story for humanity. It's almost like the first time around it got lost in translation. <laughs> <laughs> Hasn't a lot been lost in translation. 
um, and or or just flat out perverted uh, as far as the rewriting of scriptures and that and and his story over the course of the last sure. several thousand years. Yeah, you know that's one of the things that Apollo. You know, one of the first things I wanted to know was, well, well, why why this transmission? Why this story now? And what I learned about Apollo was that, unlike all of the rest of the pantheon of of male gods, he did not have um, priests in his temples. He um, elevated women. Uh, he kept priestesses at his temple, and of course the the Pythia, who was the main prophetess at the temple of Delphi, which was the 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 center of of the religious and philosophic and art world for a couple of thousand years, uh, the Pythia was a, a married woman. And so as the story unfolded through me, um, it was clear that Apollo's intent uh, with having women represent him back in the day had been to keep the gateway of the goddess open and not be not have the goddess religion and the awareness of the importance of staying in tune with the life force with the richness of of the goddess and and the wildness of the feminine and the fertility of that chaotic primal mind that all of all of life and creation flows from he wanted to keep that doorway open rather than have all of that submersed beneath the oncoming onrush of the the patriarchal abrahamic gods which were very structured very rule bound very you know the, the the big guy in the sky and he knows and he's pissed and and you know if you don't hold by the rules he'll you know he'll make you think twice and and so he wanted to hold the uh, the feminine up as equal to the masculine and not have the goddess go quietly into the night, as unfortunately she did, and maybe not so quietly. But um, and he he and what came forward in the book was that that intention at, at Delphi and through the Apollo um, temples to keep the goddess alive was to keep the goddess alive until actually the coming of the Christ. The Christos, which of course is the awakening, the birth of the equality of man and woman and the equality of the divine in humanity. And um, I really never knew that uh, Jesus, that Yeshua ben Joseph, has, was actually a, a feminist. That He was uh, very much um, a stalwart a supporter of equality because men and women are equal we're not the same but we're very but we're equal in in our in our in our richness and in our divinity and hail our differences and so apollo said that the whole point was to keep the goddess alive until the christos could come and jesus's whole mission he said was to walk hand in hand with his wife mary magdalene and show the divinity of man and woman and the equality of man and woman and that was his that was the intent of his long-term teaching career but of course that was um derailed by the crucifixion and um Apollo let me know that there was a quite a duplicitous um, plot by several other unseen gods, which I will not name at this point because it would be a huge spoiler for the book if I did throw out a few names, 
Um, but the, basically, the, the crucifixion of Yeshua and Ben Joseph was a way to keep people enslaved, to keep the goddess asleep and dead in people's minds, and to elevate the Abrahamic religion to the point where people could be controlled, life could be structured, and it was all about rules based in shame and guilt, and that our divinity would be lost to us. Thus, humanity could be controlled. And therein lies the underlying plot of Apollo and me is this um, this uh, despicable diabolical plot by uh, several of his fellow gods to enslave humanity and keep us enslaved. Those bastard gods. Those bastard gods. (laughs) Yeah. You leave the gate open and what happens? I mean, what the hell? The... uh... (laughs) Well, you know, so um, there's there's so much uh, being um, conveyed about the awakening of the divine feminine, the reawakening yeah. of the divine, and uh, and and as we've mentioned, mythology and 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 for people's advantage, a lot of times mythology will. Um, skew the language, skew the perception, skew the story to serve the teller. And, and the, you know, the divine feminine has really gotten a bad rap. And uh, a whole lot of our, um, of this next chapter of our human story is to return the divine feminine to the throne, return it to its uh, divinity. So, so when I mean the the shadow side of the feminine, in other words, um, the context I mean by that is how how the feminine has been banished in language. How mm-hmm. would you, since you've immersed in this topic, how would you language the power of the divine feminine when it when it's authentic and full and rich? Wild and uncontrollable, unpredictable, chaotic, um, infinite in potential. Um, If we have, if we look at masculine and feminine forces as they show up, you know, in man and woman, talk about primal. Talk about the, the the very polarity of opposite electromagnetic forces of negative and positive underpin all of creation with less than a second after the big bang occurred the very first quote-unquote creation was electromagnetic polarity in the form of positrons the positive force and electrons the the negative force and of course that translates into the negative is the feminine and the positive is the masculine now just using those two words we've already skewed um, our idea about, well, okay, feminine bad, masculine good, you know, because positive means good and negative means bad. So we're, we're already languaging the feminine to a, dis, a distinct disadvantage right there. And yet the problem is with language. If we go back to just primal forces, the negative force is darkness, the moon, the unseen, the occult, the hidden, that which is within if we look at the masculine, it's that of the light. It's all externalized. It's that which is easily seen. I mean, 
if, if we want to even translate that into an anatomical structure, you know, the dark, the womb within, the vagina, it's all that hidden in the feminine. And then the, the, the phallus, the penis, the erect presentation of the masculine is all externalized. Um, and, so, and, so, and then we get into all of the different qualitative differences of the yin, the feminine, and the yang, the, the masculine the positive um that the the feminine is non-linear intuitive multi-dimensional multitasking all of these simultaneous possibilities um very compassionate all about inclusivity and then versus the masculine is about exclusivity about hierarchy about the intellect about structure about power over and so we've got these two. In the West, we call them opposite forces. In the East, they call them complementary forces because you right. can't have one without the other. <laughs> right. But, yeah, but, there, but since, since the fall of the goddess back in Apollo's time, it's all been about the elevation of the masculine. And so we've, and and it's brilliant. I mean, look at the accomplishments. Look where we've gone in the last two, three thousand years. What where the intellect, where the left brain um, has gotten us, it's 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 fabulous. Now, unfortunately, in our society, we're at the place where, you know, when when I grew up back in the '60s, I came into a masculine world. You know, the economic system had been devised by men. Business had been devised by men. Politics, education, philosophy. It was all, I, I, I walked into a man's world. I had no choice, and neither did any of my sisters, but to man up, put on our big girl pants, and get in the arena with the guys and slug it out on their level. We had to enter the masculine arena, which is brilliant because this is the evolutionary movement from you know, from being polarized, all feminine, all masculine, to coming into this beautiful center point where the you're familiar, of course, with the yin yang symbol. Sure. There's a yeah, of course. So there's a that's that dot of white in the black of the yin, and that dot of black in the yang, um, of the white element of the yang. It's like we have to blend the two. You know, there's nobody that's all male and just all female. We're a combination. We have all of these qualities. We're not talking anatomy. We're talking qualitative um, characteristics that we bring to the table. So, you know, women for thousands of years had been chattel. We'd been kept brainless and stupid and pregnant. And so we had to step into our masculine power. We had to master the intellect. We had to, to master the material world and step in as equals in that arena, and we've done that. Now the great, the, the great problem is that you know, we're all, we've, we've entered the masculine arena, and most women are on the masculine side of the boat. It's like everybody has rushed to the left brain side of, 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 of life and is all about materialism and power over and structure and hierarchy and rules. And we've lost the juice. We've lost the inclusivity, the compassion, the love, the fertility, the wildness, the unstructuredness, the unlimitedness that characterizes the feminine aspect of creation. So there's this 
huge need, as far as I'm concerned, um, to not see women as equal as men because they act like men and make money like men and go to work like men, but equal because they have flowered in their feminine capacity that they can introduce the feminine softer side to the masculine and then we won't all be in the wrong side on one side of the boat with the boat threatening to capsize as a result you know what I mean oh sure absolutely well the you know as I sit here and and we noodle the masculine and feminine the uh, certainly we've had uh, uh the masculine uh, quite prominently now for a uh, substantial part of our most recent past. And mm-hmm. uh, and that order, the structure of the masculine, where, where there's order and there's dimension and predictability and... Um, and what struck me as, as we were, we were talk, talking, I had the thought of the ego being afraid of the unknown. The, mm-hmm. I mean, the ego is quite vested in, in like, protecting itself by making choices where it knows what the outcome is. Yeah. And order kind of accommodates that. But it's also the kiss of death when it comes mm-hmm. to rebirthing, to, you know, like the, the yin and the yang. Um, if my mouth is powerful because I can speak powerful words, then my ears have to be powerful. They have to be powerful to be able to receive powerful words. It, you know, it's like the, the angel of life and the angel of death uh, have to be on equal footing, so to speak, in, in the sense that because if, if we look at our culture today, the, the, the masculine has so much momentum. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the, the structure of, of our, all our agencies the structures of of all our institutions are like a slow motion train wreck. <laughs> I mean, yeah. all all of our mythology sucks at ending war. All of our mythology, all of it, all the saviors have come and gone from all the religions. Our religions suck because we haven't solved the damn thing. We're still yeah. quite uh, quagmired here. So. If we look at the mythology, we have to we have to trash the um, the sacred cow of it because it's not working, and and yeah. so the divine feminine uh, w- with that the momentum of these institutions, the divine feminine can come in with such emptiness, with with such a void into the ego mm-hmm. that that can be petrifying because it doesn't know if it'll survive or not, but but to to um, to send it asunder from the very foundation of its structure, so it can collapse, so we can have some mythology, create new mythology in this chapter, in this story, in this present moment, create a new paradigm, a new mythology where we actually <clears throat> we actually do end war, end suffering, end poverty. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and this isn't going to happen by having the women take over. That's not the answer. I mean, I know so many feminists to this day um, who advocate an overthrow of the patriarchy. It's not about overthrow, which is a fascinatingly masculine approach. 
They, they so, got probably get they probably got good grades in school. I am undoubtedly they did. I did. <laughs> I definitely put my masculine hat on early to survive. So, but so it's not about that. It's about reintroducing. It's about not even reintroducing because it hasn't even been introduced in so many thousands of years. The concept of what a woman is, the the, the understanding of what the feminine bears. And it is about intuition and sensitivity, openness, vulnerability, compassion, inclusivity, all those things that the masculine sees as weak and destructive to its rules and structure and its 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 creation of its own, you know, guys like to play king of the hill. It's all about who you know, he who dies with the most toys wins. That's the masculine philosophy. That's great up to a certain point on a limited resource planet. At a certain point, he who dies with the most toys wins has to move over and have a be restructured. And it's only going to be restructured not by the overthrow by, by women, but by the introduction of what the feminine is really about, heart. We've got to bring heart and marry it to the head finally at last. It, it's yeah. like it's it sounds it sounds simple and and actually it's incredibly simple, and yet I've spent my entire bloody life less trying to figure. I, I've spent the last fifteen years just trying to figure out what being a woman is. <laughs> right. Yeah. And and oh, then sure. embody that. Yeah. Embody grace. Embody compassion. Embody being vulnerable. And, and be okay with that, to embody not knowing. I've invested my whole freaking life about knowing everything and making sure everybody right. around me knew that I knew it. And now I'm embracing uh, the, the, la- the longer I go down this trek, the less I know. And the less I know less, the freer I become and the happier I become and the richer I become in my own being at a felt embodied level. And it's a game changer, but it's terrifying to the masculine persona. You're right, because it is about well, the, letting go. The well, and and there's a there's a, a handoff, if you will, in the in the vehicle of creation. So so here we are in this 3D holographic uh, quantum soup on this gravity swamp, and. Uh, and humanity, as a personification of the divine, is here to create and fulfill and express, which are fundamental attributes of consciousness. But uh, so the feminine, being the unknown, being the infinite, um, being the the shadow, the undefined, and the masculine being um, more or less the opposite. If mm-hmm. if we were to just daydream uh, a notion of what that would look like going through time and space moment by moment, day by day, week by week. The the beauty of the divine feminine is I mean, if if you want to turn your life on your head, pray to the divine feminine and say, yeah. show me how I can be a bigger vessel of compassion for humanity and then you better yeah. hold on because out of the infinite which is the beauty of the feminine, it can create anything. 
It can conjure up any solution of an infinite possibility, which is extreme power. But but the 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 conjured up um, answer to the prayer needs some masculine to bring it into form. Yeah, because and form it's the- in and of itself is masculine. So those two, if walking side by side. What I see is a much more temporally collapsed uh, sense of self, sense of history. I mean, we we celebrate our history like it's made out of concrete. And, and, <laughs> and gold. Consciousness, and consciousness would seem more apropos to fulfill the, the divine masculine and feminine if we were in an, an eternally rebirthing of ourselves. And that's so contrary to how we've been living in the past. But what is what is consciousness when it's rich and full? It's passionate expression. It's artistic capitulation. It's it's the fulfillment of desire. And to temporarily collapse that, there's a very prominent feminine and a very prominent masculine, and they're both holding themselves with a feather so it can... Uh, uh, rebirth itself over and over again. Uh, I'm I'm going off on a tangent here. Let me reel it in. Well, you know, not really, because you've you've spoken exactly to my life and what's happened. Um, 15, 17 years ago, I realized that I was way out of balance as a woman, that I was superb at, at, at linear left brain functioning and being aggressive and out there. You know, I was the first engineer that ABC Sports ever hired to do on-the-road sports telecasting. So I had to be, I had to be one tough cookie. And it, it, it shocked me. Um, to realize how incomplete I was as a human being, that I'd never experienced nor understood what my very feminine nature was. So I set about um, understanding that, and it's taken. It's, I've been on a journey for 15 years with this. And and just what you said is the wild unpredictability of you say you want to know the divine feminine, hold on to your socks. It brought me a vision of a Greek god on the side of a bloody mountain in Greece while I'm writing a a book on psychology and enlightenment and completely derailed my life. Because after I finished the E-word, I realized that I wasn't – I didn't want to be a spiritual teacher. I didn't want to set myself up for that. I was still – I'm still a a human being in production. (laughs) I'm still I'm learning what it is to be a whole human being. And you know and I a long time ago I finally understood that enlightenment itself is the natural result of a life well and fully lived. You cannot attain it. It naturally occurs in its own time. But like you can't force a flower to bloom. And so, yeah, the, the feminine, I wanted to embrace the feminine, well, rock my socks. All, you know, all of a sudden I'm writing romance novels, spiritual teaching tales um, about older women and, and younger gods having passionate affair and learning about a whole bunch of stuff and, and, and um, foiling the, the plot of despotic gods. And, um, gee, <laughs> yeah. surprise. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
And but, you know, but, and the next thing that happened is, is I got sent to to Maui in Hawaii. I you know, of all of the feminine goddess places on the planet to land. I, I'd been living in the Pacific Northwest for thirty years. I'm on this march to incorporate the feminine in my life and become vulnerable and unfold in this whole unknown. And it's just like, what happens? I visit a friend on Maui, and the island just pulled me inside and said, "You come live here and let me take care of you." So I'm in the I'm in the on the living on the slopes of a volcano in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, bathed in the feminine every day as the flowers blossom and fragrance wafts through the air and the soft air caresses my skin. It's an intoxicating experience of life being here. And that's part of the feminine and unfolding to that. For Christ's sake, let's get out of our heads and back into our bodies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, how how well spoken. I mean, and and Maui, what a what a feminine uh, wonder, really. So that well, that you pointed out quite well that your your life path is is unfolding like that. I think you know from the from the masculine point of view, um, um, so, so often. Um, men in a in a relationship tend to, I mean, a lot of times society holds men as problem solvers, and and, and men want to be a source of a solution, they, they uh, to be yeah. seen as helpful in overcoming problems, and mm-hmm. when the divine feminine goes um, um, off the deep end as far as unpredictability. The, the men don't have any context in which to um, um, take their knowledge, take their skill, take their usefulness, and be seen as valuable. Because yep. in the divine feminine, hell, anything can come out of the pike. Anything can come up. And the, so the anything. context can be turned on its head over and over and over again. But I yep. say to the masculine, that to, to the men, that... It's not for you to figure out. the 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 divine woman can can go off into oblivion, and you don't. There's nothing there to fix, and you don't have yeah. to panic, and you don't have to worry. Your job nope. is to stay grounded, so so she can go off into the the galactic astral pathways, and you're grounded. You're 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 filling your role by being grounded, so so she has a place to return to, and she can ground. Um, and she can bring her gifts from the like wild go. blue yonder with her. She and then she right. brings her gifts back and feeds the masculine. Right. It's beautiful. Right. It's that. Yep. That's right. And so the the powerful masculine is not to shit your pants when she goes off the deep end. That's fine. Don't yep. worry. Don't think that you're broken or you're dysfunctional. Just that's her just job. Be still, yeah. That's her job. And that's right. Her job. The feminine's well, job mean, is I mean, to go off the deep end. And it's, right. and I love what you said about the grounded masculine. Absolutely, to create a safe space for a woman to go out and explore and to be her wild, amazing, infinite self and bring that's that right. sweetness back. It's yeah. fabulous. Well, we you know, it's so funny. We had so much conversation about the masculine and feminine. I just wanted to tie it into relationships. Now, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, it's so funny because it reminds me of a of a dear friend of mine. One of the most 
outrageous being she was an astrologer, unfortunately no longer on this plane, but a very wise woman and very, very much in touch with the goddess and her feminine side. And um, and she, um, the septic tank on, their, on her and her husband's property uh, totally went out of whack, and they didn't know where the septic field or the septic tank was. There, it was an older property, and so there were never, weren't any records. And so it's in the Pacific Northwest. It's raining. It's February. The septic's, you know, backing up all over the place. The septic guy comes, and her husband and the septic guy, engineer, go out, and they say, where the hell is the septic tank? And Amantha just said, um, it's over there. And she points, and, and the engineer goes, oh, no, that's the last place on God's green earth it would be. So for three days, the engineer yeah. and her husband are out there in the slogging rain and hail trying to find the septic tank. And finally, after three days, they dug where she originally pointed, and there it was. Right, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, it, it, it's such a, um, a, a beautiful dance between the unknowing and the knowing, the form and the unformed, the, you know, the predictable and the unpredictable. And so much of our culture is so anchored in this, well, we have right and wrong, and so stay right, don't go wrong, you know, we have good and bad, and and the universe or consciousness in general has no need for such staunch, categorical, you know, bastardization of all that is. And limitation. Sure. All of that's a limitation, Absolutely. Structure is a limitation by its very nature. It's necessary to feel safe um, and secure and have a roof over your head, but at a certain point, as you as you pointed out earlier, we just become dead. We we become the walking dead in our lives. We go through the motions. We we go to work. We make money. We come home. We go to work, make money, come home, and we wonder what happened to the intoxication of life. Where did that sparkle, where did those sparkling eyes go? Where did that, that incredible mischievousness and that grin and that joy in life go? Yeah. We've regulated it out of existence. So part yeah. of the journey, everyone's journey, is to reawaken to life itself. And, and, and that's, that's, that's masculine and feminine doing a jig together at long last when we start embracing both sides of the coin. It's so right. needed, Les. Yeah, well, normal normal's not going to fix a damn thing. Normal just <laughs> means more of the same. Normal's yeah. just more of the same. We need abby normal. We need Absolutely. we need abstract. I mean, the, the crazies, the dreamers are the ones, and those are feminine. The I mean, the ones that go out of the normal paradigm, the ones that can cast themselves into the abyss will be the ones that bring back the, the mythology of of solving um, pain and suffering in our human dynamic, of of bringing um, a balance between the masculine and feminine. And so don't don't try to align yourself with normal because normal is just a vote for more of the same. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so. <laughs> God knows I've been um, levered out of normal. (laughs) (laughs) Bravo. Woohoo. Bravo. Thank you, Apollo. (laughs) Thank you, Goddess. (laughs) Now, did he have his phone with him? Is he on Tinder? I mean, I wish. (laughs) 
<laughs> and when women read this book, they'll wish they could get a hold of him too. <laughs> <laughs> well, the 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 vibe of of that excitement it can can be personified by any consciousness. Um, so Absolutely. It, uh, he's trying to awaken it. Uh, his I think his desire is to help us reawaken that in ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's like, and, and it, this is archetypal energies. I mean, I know that's what Apollo really is. It's, it's an archetype of, of wisdom and masculine beauty. And and yet in the same, it has a face. He has a face. And, oh, my God, and a drop-dead gorgeous body to carve statues after. But um, be that as it may, um, I got sidetracked. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so, so much of it. Well, so much of this book was about getting me back in my body. I mean, after after 20-odd years of assiduous, thousands and thousands of hours of of meditation and literally being alone in the cave, um, focused on enlightenment, a very masculine, ascetic path that I took, I, I ignored so much of life, Les. I ignored my body. I ignored my sexuality. I judged it. You know, you don't have to be Christian to, to still judge sexuality and sensuality. Even the New Age, you know, spiritual people, we, we kind of pay lip service to the goddess and go, oh, everything is, everything is you know, is, is spirit. Everything is life. Everything is spirit. And then we elevate meditation and living life with our eyes closed and getting out of here as the, as the ticket. And instead of getting in here. Get into the body, get into the emotions, get into the the dirt, roll around, get into the ecstasy, um, get into those ecstatic states, embody the divine. That's what we're here to do. We embodied the divine anyway, but we just don't recognize it. (laughs) And therefore, we're we're stuck, we're normal, and we are unecstatic in the extreme. We're freaking miserable and addicted to every drug on the planet. Yeah. Because we've lost our well, way, you know, we've lost the juice. Uh, we have. Well, an hour goes by pretty fast. I want to make sure the audience knows how to get a copy of your book, your books, and any other modalities you want to share with our audience. Can you uh, let us know? Sure. Um, so it's Apollo and Me by Kate Montana, and that's Kate with a C. They can find the book at any bookstore, order it through Barnes & Noble. It's on Amazon.com, um, Books a Million, Indie, all of those. And they can find me, Kate Montana, Kate with a C, at www.katemontana.com, as well as Facebook, The Real Kate Montana. Well, very nice. Well, um, it's been a delightful conversation. Um, We have a few minutes left. What would you, do you have any closing thoughts for us? Oh, God, a million. Um, You know, yeah, I'll go back to my original thing about um, being amazed at writing a love story. It's like, now I am amazed, Les, that I was horrified at writing a love story. It's just like the judgment that we have, especially as spiritual people, we've gotten so bloody serious. It's all about getting out of here. It's all about, you know, becoming enlightened. It's all about becoming detached. And it's like, wow, 
Um, I, I, I've been shocked at how e- being a spiritual pe- person has divorced me from living and how it's divorced right. me from deep, deep embodied love and passion and engagement. You know, and, and so I just would like to just there's, – there's hope beyond this idea about you have to be this detached ascetic. It's just like forget it. Engage life. Engage, number one, engage. You know, get, it, get in your – go where your heart leadeth. Um, follow your passion. I know this just sounds re- like such a platitude, but, oh, my God, we have to follow our bliss. We have to follow these weird intuitive hits that say go right when, when everything that you've been programmed in life to think and believe and been educated for says go left. And it's just like to follow those those heartbeats, those footprints into the unknown and to to feel and richly and embrace life. Oh, my God. And, you know, for me, turning to fiction, get this, Les, six minutes of reading literary fiction relaxes the body 68% more than taking a walk. Wow. Reading well, fiction nice. is just like, yeah, forget this less brain stuff. Jesus, it just keeps us in a box. Play. Live a little. Get sexy. Roll around with a romance novel on vacation. Read Apollo and me. <laughs> Right. Well, Kate, I want to thank thank you for being our guest on the show tonight. It's been a real pleasure. It's been a blast. Thank you, Les. We've been talking with Kate Montana, and the topic tonight is the name of her latest book, Apollo and Me. You know, it's it's that that um, to the ego, it might seem like reckless abandonment. Um, when when the uh, the giddy excitement it's it's I'm sure it's got a little inner child mixed in there too, where you where you express yourself in such a uh, uninhibited way. Uh, if you think just about that that idea of expressing yourself in an uninhibited way, it's so contrary. For, to how most of our societies laid out, it's uh, we're here on this planet for the human experience, human experience, flesh and bones. Not a single time has a divine being come down from the skies and and ended our suffering. It'll be through our own human desires, our own human actions, our own human choices that will decide anything. God with the big G's not going to come down and kick anybody's ass. Um, you know, um, I wrote a book, my latest book, Forgiven Sinner, God's Last Savior, is is there to help you heal your relationship with, with the divine because it's not some big-ass pissed-off God sitting on a throne somewhere. The divine is is the essence of who you are. And until you heal your relationship with the divine, because healing is, is a way to reclaim yourself, reclaim the, the wholeness of who, who you are. To, uh, to heal your relationship with the divine is a very powerful thing for you to do. Another powerful thing that you've already done is you've shared this episode with us. Um, and bravo and kudos to you for taking the time growing who you are. 
uh, it's my sheer pleasure bringing you episodes like this that that bring new dynamics, new possibilities, new perspectives into your life so you can live a more dynamic and passionate life. I'm your host, Les Jensen. It's always a pleasure spending this time with you. Thanks for listening. Until next time. This has been a New Human Living radio broadcast. You can raise your own personal power with Personal Power Fundamentals Home Study Course at NewHumanLiving.com. Thanks for listening.